uh, we're not, we don't have time to kind of go over all of that tonight, but I'd encourage you to go and listen uh, to last week's message to get part one of this. But as Peter uh, met Jesus at the Jordan River, he was invited with this, this opportunity to just to come and see for himself. And uh, that's the same invitation today. That's kind of the invitation that we uh, hope to just extend over the next little while to each and every person, whether you're a follower of Jesus for a long time or brand new or not at all, to come and see for yourself. Uh, and to, we said last week that that involves counting the cost and then making a decision, am I all in or not? And the big question we asked last week was this, who do you say that Jesus is? Because it matters. It doesn't really matter like for you who I think Jesus is. That, that does, it, it's an individual thing. It matters who you think and who you say he is. And that knowing Christ for ourselves, that's actually what allows us to let go of things in this life. We talked about that unclipping from, from what's be, behind and uh, reaching uh, ahead to what lies ahead yet is simply to know him for ourselves. Otherwise, we're not, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it because someone else told us to. And you shouldn't. You should actually do it simply because you know him and he's called you to. And you know that there's nothing else you can do but live in a, a life of obedience to him. And so today we're just going to jump into part two and look at a couple other accounts. And so if you have your Bible, go to John. If you're new to the Bible, just uh, start going all the way to the, to the right. and You'll come to some red letters. And the, the, that's the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're just going to spend a little bit of time uh, in, in uh, John's account uh, tonight and so and you know really the thought is we look at these couple of different people and they're very different from each other their stories are very different that you might actually see yourself in their story you might hear some things and be like oh wow that 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 sounds like me that's intentional and that's not me but that's who we've been talking about tonight the voice of holy spirit stirring something in your heart because you're not here by accident. You're not here just to get a courage award for braving the snowstorm and saying, Oh, I did it. You know, the Lord's looking at me. going to give me brownie points. No, he, he wants to speak to us tonight that our lives might be profoundly changed, including mine. And so, you know, as we looked at last week, we realized that when people had a personal revelation of who Jesus was, they knew who he was for themselves they would pass that on. And so we saw John the, John the baptizer. He's at the Jordan River. He's like, he sees a, a, a vision of a dove coming down on Jesus. He's like, okay, I know this is him. This is the savior of the world. And he begins pointing other people. He's like, look, look, it's him. And so Andrew on the second day, he looks and he sees Jesus. He's like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I don't know who he is, but I'm gonna go follow him. And we talked about this last week where he follows him, right? And then he's like, oh yeah, it's him. I, I know that he's the savior of the world. And he runs and he gets his brother and he says, Peter, you got you to come. And everybody has the chance to come and meet Jesus or come and see him for themselves. And so that's kind of where we ended last week with where Peter had met Jesus, had the chance to see for himself and how it affected Peter's life. So we're just going to backtrack to the spot where, where, where that kind of t t takes a fork. We saw Peter's journey last uh, week. We're going to take a look at one of the other guys this week. So if you have your Bible, gave you lots of time to get to John chapter 1 and verse 43 is where we're going to pick it up. John 1, verse 43, it says, the next day, so the day after he had this conversation with Peter, it says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, which is north, and he found a guy named Philip, and he said to him, come, follow me. It's that same, same phrase, basically, of come and see. Come follow me and, and, and see for yourself uh, who I am. And so Philip, uh, it says he was from Bethsaida, where Andrew and Peter's hometown. So, you know, Andrew and Peter are probably along at this point. We're, we're going to guess that they were. But he, they, they had a knowledge of each other, and now Philip has this knowledge of Jesus. 
Then it says that Philip went to look for Nathanael and he told him, we have found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus. Uh, He's the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? And what Philip replies, come and see for yourself. You know, Philip um, follows Jesus and, and he receives a personal revelation of who he is. Philip, we, we see it because Philip says, his name is Jesus. We, we found the one that the whole Old Testament's been writing about. The, 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 the prophets have promised we found him and his name is Jesus. And if you read this, you realize, well, that part Philip knows. He gets all the other details wrong. You're like, wait, wait, what? Because this is, not like a, this is not like some cleverly crafted tale, which is what we looked at last week. This is how it really was. These are like the eyewitnesses writing about how it really went. And Philip meets Jesus uh, on the next day. And then he, starts, he goes and looks for Nathaniel. He doesn't know a whole lot about Jesus yet. He's heard some things, but he doesn't know everything. But he, he's pretty convinced himself that though this is the man that the Old Testament prophets have been sharing and telling us about. And, you know, I think we can learn something from, from just from that little spot is that for many people, they wait until they think they've got to know everything before they're willing to share anything. They're not ready to say, you know, they don't want anybody at work knowing I'm a Christian because what if they ask questions? I don't, I don't know what I'm going to say. And people wait so long till they know enough before they share Christ. Can I just say this tonight? The people actually don't need you to have all the answers. They actually need to know him for themselves. They don't need you to have all the answers. You don't even need you to have all the answers. We each just need to know him and to come and see him for ourselves. I was reading a, an old sermon by a guy named Charles Spurgeon, and he spoke about this, and here's what he said. He said this, Philip didn't realize that Jesus was actually the son of God, not the son of Joseph. He goes and tells him, like, hey, we found him. His name's Jesus, and he's the son of Joseph. And, and, and there's his first mistake. Second, it says, Philip didn't realize that Jesus was actually from Bethlehem, not Nazareth. And, of course, you know, we hear the response from Nathaniel, like, Nazareth? Like, the Savior's not coming from Nazareth, Philip. Like, are you sure you have all the details? How do you know this is the guy? It, 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 you know, nothing good comes from Nazareth. And what does Philip say to him? What was the last thing we read there? What is Philip's response to him? Yeah. I, I don't know all the answers that they know. I just know that I met him. Come and see for yourself. Just, just come see him. Come listen to him, and then you can decide for yourself what you think. And so Nathaniel, Nathaniel does go. He goes with Philip to see who this Jesus is, and, and we're going to pick that up in verse 47. So as they approached, here's Philip and Nathaniel, they're approaching Jesus. Jesus says out loud, as Nathaniel's arriving, he says, Now here's a genuine son of Israel. Just make note of the yellow letters on the screen as we go, because we're going to read this portion of Scripture, and we'll come back and explain it. He says, now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me, Nathaniel asked. And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. And then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you that I had seen you under the fig tree? You're going to see greater things than this. And then he said, I actually tell you the truth. You all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man, the one who's the stairway between heaven and earth. We read that and it's like, 
It's like, it's actually a really, really interesting conversation that we here in Canada, we lose a lot of it in translation and we lose a lot of it in tradition. If you're reading through the Old Testament together with us, it's, it's just a, a coincidental that uh, we end up reading this chapter today. But Jesus is actually referencing a man from the Old Testament. When he, sa- when he says that statement, here's a genuine uh, son of Israel. Israel was the name, uh, the change name of a man named Jacob. And Jacob from the Old Testament, if you read in Genesis 28, he's one of the fathers of the, of the nation of Israel, but he's a terrible guy. Like he cheats everybody out of everything. He's born and they call him deceiver. Like they know from the day he's born, this kid is going to be our troublesome one. And he, he robs from his, um, his brother, he deceives his dad, and then he has to run away and, and flee for his life because his brother wants to kill him. Uh, he's that, he's that in, uh, in a bad way with his family. And it's that guy who they said, you know, his name is Deceiver. He's full of deceit. And then God changes his name to Israel after he has, he has this vision uh, during a dream one night of a stairway to heaven. And I, I don't think it's the inspiration for the song, but it's the, he sees Jacob's ladder. He sees angels going up and down and he's like, wait a second, maybe there is a God. And it's from that that he begins to, to, to ponder who the Lord is. And God's like, man, I got big plans for your life. Well, it's this Israel, this Jacob that Jesus is referencing. And, and, and these are good Jewish boys. They know these stories. And as he, as, as he arrives, Jesus is letting him know that's that stairway to heaven. He says, that's the vision of who I am. He's saying, Nathaniel, you know, that's, that's, that's who I am. But now let's talk about who you are, Nathaniel. And he says, Nathaniel, you're a good guy. You're a good Israel. You're a good version of Jacob. And really, because he says, there's no deceit in you. And Nathaniel's answer, I'm like, wait. Have, have we met before? Like, how, how do you know, know me? Philip, what did you tell him about me? He said, I didn't tell him anything. I, I didn't even know if you were going to come. And Jesus' response to him is this. He just says, Nathaniel, I actually saw you. I saw you under the fig tree before Philip ever found you. And that one statement is enough for Nathaniel to say, oh, okay, you're, you're the one. You know, we, we don't we don't know what happened under that fig tree. We don't know what Nathaniel was doing under that fig tree. It doesn't say what he was doing. All that we do know is that Nathaniel knew that Jesus knew what no one else could know. He's like, he knows me. He knows things about me that no one else can know. He knows me. There's only one way that he could know me is that he's not, he's not of this world. He actually is who he said he is. And Philip, or sorry, Nathaniel came and saw for himself and has that personal revelation of Jesus. And he makes that statement. You are, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And you know, what's interesting about Nathaniel is that before he has this moment, he's really kind of flippant about Jesus, right? When Philip comes up to him, he's like, we found him. We found the Messiah, the savior of the world. And he's like, he's from Nazareth. He's like, can anything good come from Nazareth? And we have people like that today, too. They're like, Christianity, pff, you guys still believe those, you know, those old little fairy tales? Pff, you know, Jesus, ah, pff, you know, it's, it's nothing, right? And there's this, there's this flippancy towards him. But that only lasts until people meet him. And then they realize who he really is. And he reveals that. You know, I think churches can be full of people who have that same thought. They have this, this flippant response to who Jesus is. Oh, he's just a man upstairs. You know, he's my buddy, JC. He, he's, he's not. He, he's not. And, uh, you know, 
we see Peter last week when he meets Jesus and realizes, you know, remember he's in the boat and he's like, I'm a sinful man and you are something other. Like you are, Jesus, I can't even be around you. This awe, this wonder, this respect for him. John in the book of Revelation, when he sees Jesus, he's like, hits the deck and he's like, like, I just, I, I'm in awe of whose of presence I'm in. I was reading this, uh, this book by a guy, Oswald Chambers, and he wrote this. He says, the people who are flippant and familiar with God are those who have never yet been introduced to Jesus Christ. Inside and outside of the church. I thought, man, that, 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 that's like a, a something for us to consider. If we have like no sense of awe or no sense of wonder or respect or reverence for the God of all creation, we have to ask ourselves, have we actually met him? Have we come and seen for ourselves? Tonight's not just like a nice message so I had something to preach about. It is that thing for us to be like, wait a second, have I come and seen? Because all of those people had to individually come and see for themselves, including Nathaniel, who was a good guy. Right? We're, we're surrounded by lots of people who are morally good people. They, they live their lives, and they're not crooked. They don't, they don't steal from other people. They live good moral lives. And, you know, if you ask them, you know, if they thought they needed a Savior, I, I think I'm okay. You know, I think I'm, I'm doing all right in this life. I'm not, I'm not a bad person. But the truth is that good moral lives is not the goal. That was never the goal of why, you know, God created us or why he even sent Christ to the planet. The goal was that we would have a personal relationship with him, that we would be connected to him in a come and see. And I got to see more. I got to know him more and enter into that kind of relationship. And so maybe that's you tonight. And you're like, oh, that was a little prick. Answer that call. And it's not a prick of guilt, but it's just a prick of like, maybe I need to Come and see for myself. Or maybe it's someone you know. You know, you know these you got great neighbors and they're just such lovely people. And you're like, you know, they're just, you know, they're just so sweet. And they, they seem to have their lives together. Do you know they still need to have the opportunity to come and see for themselves? They still need to be offered the opportunity to come and see for themselves. If we see Nathaniel, it was a guy who didn't have too many skeletons in the closet or anything like that. He still needed that moment where Philip said, hey, you know what? We think we found him. Come and see for yourself for yourself. And then, you know, there's those people that have it all together. And then there's the other people. And we're going to take a look at them as well tonight. So just turn a few pages to the right. We're going to go to John chapter four. You know, there's so much that I could say about this encounter that we're going to read about in John chapter four. I've read this uh, account time after time after time. Uh, I've, I've, I've preached on it many a times, and yet, even as I prepared for this message, I still learn something new, because his word is unending in, in its revelation of who Christ is, and his, his uh, dealings with us as, uh, as humans. And so, new truths as well tonight, I mean new, they're just newly discovered by me. There's nothing new under the sun, right? So, Jesus uh, and a few of his disciples, they're, they're actually headed uh, north again at this point. And we see in John chapter 4, we're just going to read starting at verse 4. And I want you to picture it. If you can, just even if you have to close your eyes and listen to it, that's fine. But just picture what's happening here. It says that Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way. So, this is a, it's a portion of the, uh, that, the Middle East area. Um, Galilee's to the north, Samaria, and then Jerusalem's to the south. And he has to go through here. 
And so it says, eventually he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar uh, near the field that Jacob, same Jacob we talked about earlier, it's the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, he sat wearily beside the well about noontime, middle of the day in the Middle East, it's hot. Verse seven, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. And then it says in verse 9, it says, The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would actually ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well, it's really deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give, they will never be thirsty again. Why? Because it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Picture the pause as she considers this and thinks about this and wonders at this strange conversation. And her response is, please, sir, would you give me this water? Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. We've talked about this a number of times. Here's a woman who comes to the well in the heat of the day alone. That's not typical back then. They were either getting water in the mornings or the evenings when it was cool, and it was often a very social gathering, but she's there alone on purpose. And what we learn from this account is that she came to draw water, and he came to draw her. She came to draw water, and he came to draw her. Later on, he would explain to the disciples in John 12, he said that he would be lifted up on a cross so that he could draw all men to himself. And tonight, he's drawing people to himself here. That, that's what's happening in this, as we read his word. And that's what's happening in this conversation. And Jesus, he initiates the conversation. He's the one who starts it because he has compassion. He sees a woman who's like... He recognizes and realizes she probably shouldn't be here all by herself. And if she's here all by herself, there's probably a reason. Maybe this woman needs a fresh start. And they begin to have a conversation. And Jesus, he begins to explain to her or talk to her about things she knows, things she understands. But the reason he's talking about the things she understands is so that he can lead her to the things she does not yet understand. And so they begin talking about water. And back in the day, you know, he mentions living water. Well, they would, they would associate two types of water. Dead water was the water that was in cisterns and wells. And it was just, it was a pool of, a pool of water. Maybe it'd come from runoff or whatever, but that was dead water. Living water was the streams where water would continually run and flow. There wasn't a lot of those in this area. And so they, they were dependent on these, on these wells. And they knew that deep down, some of these wells were, were um, fed by, by living water. It's how the water got there. And so as they're talking about it, she's thinking in her mind, you know, where are you going to get living water? It's like, you need a bucket and a rope and you have neither. And she's still thinking, she's still thinking about physical water. And, you know, we've seen it before, like last, last week when we talked about Peter. What did Jesus do? He came, he starts talking about fishing. He says, hey, you guys are really good fishers of fish, but I want you to become fishers of men. 
And for them, they begin to ponder, you know, what, well, what does that mean? I understand this. And he's, what's he doing? I want to take you to what you don't know. With Nicodemus, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus said to him, you need to be born again. He's like, well, I understand what it's like to be born the first time. Like, what, what do you mean? And it does exactly what Jesus is hoping it will do. They want to ask questions. Why? Because what did he say to the lady? He said, if you knew the gift, you would ask me. You would be the one asking the questions. As he begins to explain the water, he says, there's a kind of water that leaves you where you'll never be thirsty again. And what is he simply doing? He's like, to each and every person, even with this, is saying, there's an inner thirst. There's an inner longing on the, on the inside of every single person. And you know it. You know it's there. You just don't always recognize it for what it is. And he says to her in that same thing, there's, this, there's an inner thirst. Something's missing. She knows it, but she doesn't know what it is. Blaise Pascal described it as the God-shaped hole that it, only he can fill. It's like he, that part of us is missing and, and we're never satisfied until we find him again. You know, Jesus on his famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for a right standing with God because they will be satisfied. He explains to them that that thirst will be satisfied. You know, that's the thing, the hope for each and every one of us tonight is that if that longing is there, and so for some, they're Christians, they're like, yeah, but I've kind of, I know I'm a follower of Jesus, but I still have these dry times. I would say this, that those dry times are sometimes the Lord's, you know, he allows us to, to realize our, our need for him again, where we don't have the chance to just coast through life as if, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus and now it's all, it's all good. It's that realization, no, I actually know where I've been filled before. And you go back to there. Where the longing for sin leaves you empty the second you're there. Every time it promises it'll fill you up. This time it's going to be great. And every time it disappoints. But you know when you reach that connection with him, you're like, yeah, no, I know where I've been filled before. And if I'm empty, I know where it is. So it's, it's that different, it's still, it's a, it's a thirst that gets satisfied. And he says to her, you know, you know the longing, but if you only knew the gift that God has for you. Love Paul, he just says, by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of your works, lest any one of us should boast. There's a gift waiting for every single person on this planet if they would only recognize the longing. You don't know yet, he said. You don't know yet. You don't know what you're missing, uh, woman, but if you did, you would be asking for it. And I think that realization for, for her was that there's nothing in this world that satisfies. And his desire that she would come to him to see it. You know, if you could see it, if you could see it for yourself, you would know it. And it's the same today. Man, there could be all kinds of people sitting here tonight, listening online, sitting here tomorrow morning where there's a thirst. And it's like, I'm here because I want to know it. And yet it's, it's, he's, he's that, that drawing. If you would come to me, if you would come to me, You'd recognize it. You'll know it when it happens. And she says to him, I'd like that. Please give me this water so I don't have to come here anymore. And he's like, oh, you're not quite getting it yet. And he jumps into this next part, John 4, verse 16. He says, okay, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. She's like, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've actually had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And I'm like, wait, this is like Jerry Springer. Like, how, what happened here? You know, we're like, Jesus, that's kind of, 
that's kind of like rude to just like throw their, their, you know, all their body count out into public. You know, this is not, if, if, if any of us were the women, we would be like, wait a second, this conversation's over. But something tells me about the fact that this conversation continues, that there was something in Jesus' way of speaking truth that wasn't judgmental. He says to her, hey, you've had five husbands and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Her response, sir, you must be a prophet. So then tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Well, we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped. And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time's coming when it's not going to matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. You know very little about the one you worship. Well, we Jews know all about him. Why? Because salvation comes through the Jews. But the time's coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so that those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We're going to talk about that another time, not about location. It's about here, this, this connection with him. Verse 25, the woman said, well, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ, and when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Man, Jesus reveals to this woman a couple of things. He reveals to her that he already knows her. Remember Nathaniel? Hey, I saw you under the fig tree. He's like, hey, you've had five husbands. And she's like, that'll stop you in your tracks. But that moment actually needs to happen for every person where there's this realization that he knows me. He knows, he knows everything about me. You know, we see people around us that need to know the gospel. He already knows their situation. You know, I think if we look at this, we might look at it and go, wow, look at that mess. You know, look at the mess she's made of her life. And all he's saying is she just needs a Messiah. Don't worry about the mess. She needs to see a Messiah. And her response is similar to Nathaniel. She's like, wait, how do you know me? There's no way that you, a stranger, knows all of that. Like, I know I have a reputation, but it doesn't go all the way to, you know, to where you came from. You must be a prophet. It takes her a little bit longer to realize who she's actually speaking to until Jesus lets her know who he truly is. As we see tonight, you know, instead of leaving, she begins to ask him questions. She realizes, I have a need for God. You must be a prophet. Can you tell me what I need to know about him and what is happening? That inner longing begins outwardly speaking. And I think that's such an important thing for, for every person is that inner longing is, is given words. What is it in your heart that you're longing for? What is it that you just need to be simply voicing to him? God, like I don't understand what I'm hearing. I, I've, been, I've been trying, I've been going to church, I've been doing all these things, but like, Lord, who are you really? I feel like sometimes we have so many who just simply sit and are like, well, I'll just take it for granted that I guess everyone else here around here knows, but I don't know. And I don't know who to ask. Or I don't, and it's like, which person do I ask? Don't ask a person. Ask the one who's desiring for you to come and see for yourself. Maybe there's people here today, you have that longing. Maybe there's people you know in your life who have that longing. The answer to them is simply come and see. And Jesus reveals to her who he is. He's like, I'm the Messiah. That's that personal revelation. She's like, I had a feeling, right? Like, I had a feeling. And you watch the story. It goes like, Okay, at the beginning, she's like, you're a Jew. 
That much she knows. Then she's like, I know that salvation comes from the Jews because you just told me that. And then she's like, you must be a prophet. And then she realizes he's the Messiah. And what does she do? You know, she, well, let's read what happens next. Go to verse 27. So then just then his disciples came back and they were shocked to find Jesus talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask him, what do you want with her? or Why are you talking to her? Then verse 28 says, the woman just left her water jar beside the well and she ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see. What was her message to everyone? Come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? I, I, I love that thought because it's very similar to Philip. She didn't wait till she had all the answers. She didn't know any of the answers, actually. She was just like, I know I've met the Messiah. And she runs to the, to the town and says, come and see for yourself. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. If I was in this conversation, I don't think that's what I'm running back to town to tell everyone. Would you? You know, she could have gone back and said, come and see the person who explained God to me and where we're supposed to worship. But she doesn't. You know, it seems strange to us. Most of us would not want our whole past paraded out in front of everyone and said, hey, you know, come and look at my wretched past. And there's this guy over there who knows all about it. You've got to come and see him for yourself. But I wonder if we shouldn't be sharing some of that. You know, same, just even looking back at my own life, you know, I once was a guy who was an addict. I once was a guy who struggled with sin. I once was a guy who was so self-righteous thinking I had it all together because I didn't drink and I didn't smoke and I didn't date anybody. And I was like this goody two-shoes kid. But it was dark. And that was me at one point until I was 18 in a greenhouse. And I realized that as I was pondering the fact that Jesus died for me, that I was reminded of who I was, and I was no better than a guy named Paul Bernardo who had murdered girls down the, just, a, a, just a kilometer away from where I lived. And I realized the goody two-shoes guy was on the same level in the eyes of God as the worst person I could think about. And I needed a savior. I remember dropping to my knees in the greenhouse and bawling my eyes out. I was so glad my boss didn't find me or fire me. But I remember that moment. What happened? I saw for myself. I saw for myself. Do you, do you have that moment? And I mean, maybe it's not just one, but it's a, a thing of moments. You know, she runs into town and she's like, she uses her past as the, as the reason to point to Christ. She just simply says, like, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Because what does she know? She knows if there's somebody who knows everything she's ever done and loves her, that love is worth trusting. And if there's a God who loved everything about, uh, who loved me knowing everything about my wretched past, then I know his love is trustworthy. And I also know he doesn't love me more than anyone else in this room or anyone listening online, but I know he loves you. And I know so many, they look back at their past and there's so much shame and there's so much guilt. And they're like, I can't share the gospel. I can't say anything to my kids or anything because look at who I once was. <laughs> and I'm challenging you to think about this. This woman in the first second left the shame behind and said, yeah, look who I once was. And look at him. Come and see him for yourself. Who cares about that? 
I don't live there. Come and see for yourself. Come and see the one. My life might have been a mess, but I found a Messiah. I found a Messiah. Let's finish it up. John 4, verse 30. So the people, they came streaming from the village to see him. And Jesus has a little conversation with his disciples while they watch them come in. You can go home and read it. Uh, but we're going to skip to 39. It says, many Samaritans from the village um, believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days. He stayed for two days. Long enough for many of them to hear the message and believe. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. And we know that he's indeed the savior of the world. You know, we don't know everything that she said to these people. Maybe it didn't need much more than that. But you know, we read about guys like Paul who later would write to the Romans. In Romans 5 verse 8, he says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, right? It's his love seeing this woman in that spot. It's his love seeing us in that spot. And it's not just a nice sentiment that we say, oh, God loves you, Jesus loves you. His love sent Christ to die is what he says. That our, that our sin debt has been paid in full with his very life, his very blood. And it's the message every one of us has to come face to face with. And tonight I say this, you have questions? Good. Ask them. Ask him to reveal himself to you. You have a past? Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Bring it to him. He already knows it. He already knows it. He's already paid the forgiveness for it. He's already given the opportunity for a fresh start, but he's waiting for you to come and see for yourself. Paul would describe it later that we are new creatures in Christ because of what he's done for us. What a powerful and incredible thing. And it's that, I believe, that draw, drew on the hearts of all of her countrymen who were like, we, we got to go and see him for ourselves. You know, sometimes I think my, that my concern is that there's people in, in church who believe because of what someone else said. You know, their, their faith in Christ rests on what they hear me say. And it's so much better than that. He's, his desire in mind is that you would come and see him for yourself. And my question tonight is this, have you done that? Have you done that? And you're like, well, I'm not sure. How do I know? Here's a couple of things we can learn from the stories we read tonight to give you some thoughts to take home with. Is there a bubbling spring on the inside? Ask yourself that. Is there a life-giving spring? Whatever you describe, how Holy Spirit on the inside of you, like, yeah, I know I'm a child of the King because he's right here. I know that his life is alive in me. Or are you still thirsty and going after different sins and different relationships and different things to try and maybe figure it out? Man, it's one indicator. Is there a sense of awe and wonder and respect and reverence for him, for who he is? Is that there? Because if not, you know, maybe you just have to remind yourself and ask yourself, Lord, help me see you again that I might be aware of it. It's not a one-time thing. Are you, is there a flippancy about God? You know, yeah, you know, I kind of refer to him as like JC or the man upstairs or like I have a hard time being serious with other people about, about God stuff. Oh man, would you just pray? Come and Lord, that I might come and see. Open my eyes that I might come and see. Do you have a desire to tell other people about Jesus and what he's done for you? Oh Lord, that our eyes might be open, that we might come and see. 
I'm going to read one last scripture. You don't have to turn there. Uh, we read it yesterday if you're reading through the New Testament with us in Matthew 9. Matthew 9, verse 30, uh, just actually a couple verses before, some blind men come up to Jesus. They actually get people to lead them to where Jesus is staying, and they, they, it sounds like they break into his house because they want to be healed. And he asks them, what do you want? And they're like, we want to see. And uh, he heals them. And, and, and here's just the part I want to touch on tonight. It says in verse 30, then their eyes were opened and they could see. Can man, blind, now they can see. And Jesus sternly warned them, don't tell anyone about this. Big part of that was whenever Jesus did something like that, crowds would be around him and he couldn't go anywhere or do anything. He was mobbed. And so he tells them, don't tell anyone about this. Verse 31, what do they do? Why? Let me just read it in case you're listening online. It says, but instead, they went out and spread his fame all over the region. Why? Because it's what blind people who can see do. It's people who realize, I once was blind, but now I see. They couldn't help but tell people. And I think about that in light of the accounts that we looked at today. When John saw who Jesus was, he told someone. When Andrew saw who Jesus was, he told someone. When Philip saw who Jesus was, he told someone. When the woman heard and knew and saw who Jesus was, she went and told everyone. And I was reminded of that old hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind. But now I see. And we have every opportunity with his word to come and see for ourselves. If you're curious and you're wondering, I keep encouraging you, join us as we read through the New Testament, as you read the stories of Jesus, just praying, Lord, would you reveal yourself to me? To whoever, whoever it is today that's reading, would you show yourself to me? I can't do that for you, but he can. And he has. And if you have any desire for him, I promise you, he put it there. And he's drawing you tonight. Would you answer that call by asking that question? Lord, would you help me to come and see? Let's pray. Father, I, I just, I'm grateful for your word, Lord. I'm grateful for these stories, these accounts, these real life accounts of these people just like us. Lives messed up, lives in peril, lives that just being lived. And yet you called them, Lord. You answered the age-old question of that inner longing. Father, I just pray tonight for every person within the sound of my voice that as a result of this recognizes the longing. They know the thirsting on the inside. Jesus, I pray that they would come and see you for themselves. Lord, that you continue to draw them. They might know you. Nobody will have to talk them into anything, but they won't be able to stop talking about who they've seen. Father, I pray that as we go from this place, this word would just take root in our hearts. Remind us daily to set our eyes on you, to look towards you. Jesus, thank you for doing what we couldn't do, for giving your life on that cross. What an incredible gift. We honor you tonight for it. Thankful, grateful, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'd encourage you to ponder these things. 
Think about where you find yourself in that. And we have a few questions we're going to throw up on the screen for tonight. A uh, couple of them, like, what did you learn from Nathaniel's story that applies to your life or relates to your life? What did you learn from the woman at the well that relates to your life? Uh, who do you say that Jesus is? And maybe I'd add that. Have you come to see him for yourself? And what did that look like for you? I'd love for you to share that with somebody.